Hello, and welcome to Therapist on Therapist. I am your host, Kimberly Anderson. Today, I have communications expert, uh, best-selling author and trainer extraordinaire, uh, uh, Kirk Westwood. He is here to help me understand more what I do wrong when I apologize. I am hoping that this one-on-one -on -one training is being made public. I'm hoping that, it's, that, that my transparency, my vulnerability can help other people learn and uh, strive to do better when they either need to give an apology or when they receive an apology. Ways that we can improve giving and receiving apologies. Ways that we can understand when an apology isn't effective. Ways that we can communicate to the giver of the apology that the apology has not been successful. So there's a lot going to be contained in this podcast. We're bumping the therapist that I was going to interview for this particular episode because this is very timely for me in my professional growth and development. We will not get personal. We will not get into details uh, regarding the particular things that I've learned over the past couple of weeks. I want to make sure that we protect people's anonymity and set some boundaries there. But I, as a therapist, I feel the need to be accountable to people and show people that I'm trying to grow and trying to better myself. So Kirk, I'm really, really grateful to you for coming on and helping me understand ways that I can do better and possibly ways that I can teach my clients that they can also do better. So thank you and welcome to Kirk Westwood. Uh, hey, thank you so much. No, I was I was excited as well because I mean, I think everyone, if you're not apologizing a few times a week, you're probably not very aware of things going on in your life. Oh, I love that. <laughs> like, like you, there's always a need. And it was your your uh, reach out to me was very timely as well as I had. I had just kind of spent several days a, a week or two ago, had spent several days. I don't like the word crafting, but constructing and figuring out how I could best apologize for a situation that I had been a part right. of with with again, sometimes sometimes things get complicated and you need to thread the needle and you have to apologize, but you can't also apologizing can also be sometimes seen as an admission of guilt of things that you didn't do. You're like, hey, I need to apologize for this. I don't apologize for that. And that's you don't want to get caught saying that either. So sometimes an apology. Why? Why is that a problem? Because sometimes the apology that you want to give is tied up in things that you don't want to apologize for. If there's a mix of those things, how can we apologize effectively? So the shortest possible answer is, and this is a it's a, a twisting of a, a, fa a famous meme axiom, and that is don't bring facts to a feelings fight. Oh, no one is listening. And the minute you say if the minute you say but the minute you say but I still th the minute you equivocate linguistically or physically or but the minute you try to introduce facts into a feeling apologies are never about facts ever facts don't hurt people's feelings ever facts are facts feelings about them do and so the only thing that matters is is in an, the, the first and foremost thing in an apology is to validate the feeling validate that it happened if you come in and say, whereas I don't think you understood what I was trying to say, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. That's not an apology. <laughs> right. There were so many equivocating phrases in that so much distancing language. And the, at the end of the day, the only thing you apologized was that they overreacted. That's not an apology. Right. Again, saying just as vague and just as general, if you were to in that same unnamed situation, say, I recognize that my behavior hurt your feelings and I am really, really sorry. That was never my intent. Whereas that at the end of the day is, is a lot of the same language. It's lots of my, it's all apologies need to be faced at yourself. They, you cannot apologize 
while referencing someone else's reaction or behavior. Ah. I'm sorry that you made me do that. No, no, no. Right. That's right. that. You, uh-uh. I, you know, this wouldn't have. Ha- I, I'm really sorry, but this wouldn't have happened. It. Uh, mm, that's no longer an apology. That's like an excuse, right? That, that's an excuse. And and we'll get to that. There are six effective parts to an apology. And I, oh, OK, good. We're going to dissect this apart. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I can I can go to science on this. But and, and so we will. I want to make sure that people know who you are and, and why I'm bringing you in to, because you are like a like special super nerd in this particular area. <laughs> yeah. Tell us who tell us who you are and what you do. So it, it, it's if you were to go the, the broadest possible way, I am a I am a professional storyteller and I have been for 25 years. Okay. I work in PR and communications right now. I help people craft their message so that they are understood because a lot of people, the, especially the more brilliant, especially the more passionate, get so caught up in their mission, their drive. They have a really hard time articulating to that to someone else that's not inside their head. Uh-huh. So I am an English on English translator. I, I have clients that come to me and I help them figure out if it's an advertising campaign, if it's a marketing campaign, if it's a political campaign or, or whatever. Or like I said, I'm helping several people that I've met on TikTok and other things craft, uh, you know, letters, uh, letters to the editor, letters of apology. I, I help people feel understood. I want to go back uh, this this English on English translator. I have yes. never heard this before. Oh, describe what that is. English is we are divided by a common language way more often than we think than we're connected by one, um, which is to say there are regionalisms. I mean, let's use one that is just so stupid. You know, if you call it soda, Coke or pop tells me if, if I'm talking to someone, do you want a soda? Do you want a Coke or do you want a pop? It tells me a lot about where they're from. If they're from Texas, it's three different things. Right. Depending on which part of Texas. Right. The words we use. Is it a sub? Is it a hoagie? Is it a grinder? The, and again, these are just really dumb. Top level. It doesn't matter. We we smirk. We mock each other's like, oh, you're from the Midwest. eh? like we. But the thing is, is that that goes so deep, so fast that people don't know. People don't recognize. I have literally sat in a room. One of my clients a couple of my clients right now work in the innovation space. And so what does innovation mean? And I dare you to not use the word invention in trying to describe it. And so I will be talking to these two people, one from Silicon Valley talking about innovation and one from a university talking about innovation. And what took me 15 seconds to figure out is that both of them were using the word to mean a very, very different thing. Different thing. How, how, how nuanced and complex does this get? I mean, now we're talking about international communications, real life. This is why international law is its own division of law. And you, getting, right. getting an MBA versus an international MBA is a thing, which is my, uh, my alma mater is Georgetown. I did not go to their international relations course. But one of the things that Georgetown is most famous for is their international relations, because understanding cultural idiosyncrasies is paramount. To, to communications, to diplomacy, to anything. What, what about generational idiosyncrasies? Oh my gosh, boomers. Um, sorry. Hey, was... wait, I'm 52 years old. I am a boomer. Oh, no, I'm not a boomer. I'm no, a Gen Xer. You're, you're a Gen X. But like, no, it's, it's big. It's big because um, we tend to, and I say we in the most general sense of the word. Sure. We assume that the way we process information is at least somewhat similar to the way that other people process information. So what might really offend me, like I can't believe here's a real one. Uh, I am 
I'm neurodivergent, I am remarkably punctual, and I get obsessive about time. If someone is five minutes late to a meeting with me, I am in a state of distress by the time they're there. If I am five minutes too late to a meeting, I am I am a hot mess because time is remarkably important to me. But I get I lived in Southern California for a while and that was awful. Forget it. <laughs> so that is a cultural, generational and regional thing that I had to understand that someone showing up 15 minutes late to a meeting with me was absolutely not disrespectful from them. I could be offended all I want. They were never going to apologize. They weren't sorry. This was their cultural understanding their rhythm and i was outside of that the few that did realize just how much that like wigged me out were like hey i'm gonna try to do better they didn't do better but they tried i'm in the military i'm in the army reserve and uh a few times i've i've been activated or been sent to a school for three months six months whatever so i was you know in uniform for a period of time thank you by the way oh absolutely um for all your air force listeners this is where the army makes fun of the air force for a second I was in a multi-service school and my instructor, and I was a enlisted at the time, I'm an officer now, but at the time I was an E4 enlisted, I was a specialist. And um, I was in a, in a journalism course, an advanced electronic journalism course, because I am a communicator in the military as well. I'm a public affairs officer now. Uh, but I was at this advanced electronic journalism course and my instructors were all Air Force senior enlisted. Uh, and a few uh, officers, you know, in the cadre. And so every day the, the class started at 8:30, and every day i got there at eight um and i would go to the classroom and it was locked like uh-huh. every and the thing is the school policy it's a multi-service school and an army guys in charge is the commandant of the school it's a multi-service school uh it says that all classrooms will be open 30 minutes before class for prep work and everything and every day i'd go it'd be locked so i'd go to the coffee shop there in the building i'd get coffee or whatever and i'd go back to the front door and and without fail one of the two teachers air force officer uh, air force senior enlisted would show up at at you know 8 and finally after about five days after about five days like i walked i was like hey guys this is unacceptable and it's going to stop and they're mm-hmm. like um and again i am outranked they're the teacher i'm the student i am like and i was like listen I have things to do in the morning, including checking my email, getting ready for class. I have a process to make sure that I am prepared for your class. If you're not prepared for your class, how am I supposed to be? Right. And and they're they're like, well, um, you know, the class starts at eight thirty. We're always here by eight thirty. I was like, nope, like that's not. I I have to be able to get ready here. And and we talked it out. And sure enough, they they weren't always in the classroom by eight, but the door was always unlocked. It was wonderful. So uh-huh. I was able to get my day started. But but that took communicating your needs clearly, identifying what you needed. And and again, this is the joke of this whole cultural thing. The Air Force culture was class starts at 830. They were there by eight, but they were in their offices and they just wandered down to make sure that the door was open by 830. I, who, again, am neurotic about time. I have to have prep. I have to be I have to have time to park. And I'm not a run at the last guy sit down kind of person. I may sure. get into the vibe thing. And I was like, I was like. I need you to the door. The sign says it'll be open at eight. I need it to be open at eight. I need to have the time that I'm allotted to do my job. But that is both an army thing and a Kirk thing and a me like and they just were from a different service, a different culture and a different attitude. And we had to bridge that gap. I had to go into them and they were very, very uh, taken aback that an E4 specialist slash student was going to push back against them. I'm like, look, I have I have needs to do this class well, and I need you to see that. Was there an apology from them to you? 
Uh, there was an admission of of wrongdoing. I don't know that I would have called it an apology. They're like, you know what? We'll make sure the door is open for you. Like we, we should make sure the door is open. So, I mean, I'm sure that they would have considered right. that an apology. And again, I didn't need an apology. I needed the door open. <laughs> OK. And sometimes we don't need an apology. We just need to change behavior. Right. Like. I wasn't offended. I didn't feel like they were hurting me. I didn't feel like they were attacking me. I felt like they were impeding my ability to do my job. And I right. didn't need them to apologize for that. I needed them to fix it because they literally had the keys to the door. It, I didn't. And I even said, I was like, I don't care if you guys need to stay at your desk till 830. Let me get to mine. So this is an example of kind of nuts and bolts, perfunctory yep. uh, uh, things that we need to do to do our job. You communicating your needs, their changed behavior uh, uh, and things move proceed accordingly. Yeah. So that's kind of when, and you said you didn't need an apology in that, in that moment. I'm, I'm for the most part, the only way to actually offend me, like from a, where I need is, is if I feel that there was malice or intentional, uh, if, if, if it had been malicious, that would have bothered me. I get forgotten and I'm, I'm fine with being right. I am not so hung up that I feel that I'm being wronged constantly or, or that people are out to get me. The, I, I feel like I am owed an apology when that line gets crossed. But other than like, hey, I didn't see that. Like, sorry, let me fix this. Or like, I just need things to work. Uh, so let me yeah. let me ask you a question. In, in a communication event, there's a giver and a receiver. Sure. Um, if the giver feels that they didn't operate with malice, but the receiver does feel like they operated with malice. Aha. How do you how do you resolve something like that? How can that resol resolution happen? Validate the feeling. Okay. But not necessarily the reality of it, which is not to say, I'm sorry that you feel that way. That's the wrong way to do that. But because the, that, the, that is the qualifier, the, that is the qualifier. Okay. But you can change that by just like, I'm so sorry that my behavior affected you like that. I'm so sorry that what I did was received that way. Okay. I, I am so sorry that, you know, uh, and, and it equivocation gets really dicey really fast, but you're like, I never intended that. That was not my intent. If it wasn't, you're allowed to explain yourself. But the minute it becomes an excuse or a deflection and there's a very razor's edge there, there's a razor's edge between um, deflection and and explanation. So let me let me break down the six parts of an apology. Go ahead. So yes, please. there are six parts. And I want to be really clear. I, I feel like I want to take some notes. Honestly, I can send these to you if you want. Okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take notes on my iPhone right now. I'm like knocking over shit on my because I want to be able to go back to this like in the month. Go ahead, please, please, please. Uh, it, these are from this. There was a study done in 2016 by uh, Roy Lewicki from Ohio State uh, University, Beth Polin of Eastern Kentucky University, and Robert Lount uh, Jr. also of Ohio State University, and they determined. Uh, over the course of several different studies uh, using college students in various role play and and real life scenarios that there are six key elements to an apology. Now, OK, important point that I found reading these studies is that it, that is not in any way to say that all six are required. Some of these you can do one of the six, but the more effective the apology uses more of these elements. Uh, and 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 I'll okay. and here they are. So, so is it like com is it like compounding interest? So more that they yes, more or less actually. And and they're a little bit okay. they're a little bit nested. The the most top levels the expression of regret. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Ninety nine percent of the apologies that you need to give are that an expression okay. of regret. That's all. It's like 
Hey, I'm really sorry that I forgot to pick up the milk. Dang it. Like, I... I screwed up. I'm sorry. Expression of regret. That's all there is to it. As situations get more complicated, so do apologies. The second is explanation of what went wrong. And again, this is where deflection happens so often. You forgot to remind me to pick up the milk. Whoa, haha, that's no longer an apology. That's a deflection. Wait, but, so how can you make an ex- how can you make an explanation of what went wrong and keep it from becoming an apo- or uh, uh, an excuse or an equivocation? I totally forgot. Just own it. Own it. Just own it. If there's something there for you to own, own it. An apology where you leave guilt on the table. Now, don't take guilt that not yours. That's just being a scapegoat. Ah, oh, okay. An apology where you did something wrong. They know you did it wrong. You did it wrong. But you but you leave guilt on the table. Is less effective. I'm not saying unef- ineffective. It's just it's not as good. So even in step number two, this gets to be super nuanced. All communication gets super nuanced because, again, we're talking about generational, regional, professional, international. You know, you and I are both good communicators. I try to be. You and I both study cognition. You're a therapist. You study. Cog- and I'm a communicator. I have literally uh, written and read you know, books on human cognition. You and I have both studied the human brain. We do not have the same understanding of the human brain or even the same side of the human brain. So it would be to say that you and I, oh yeah, we're both educated, good communicators. We clearly speak the same language. That's just not even sort of true. Um. So at the top, you know, I'm really sorry I forgot to uh, pick up the milk. Okay. I totally forgot. I had a really long day and just it's, I spaced it. I'm really sorry. So first step, admission of regret, uh, expression of regret, explanation of what went wrong. Now, again, the more excuses you make of like. An explanation is not a distancing from why it's not your fault. If the explanation is an attempt to explain why it wasn't your fault, it's no longer an explanation. It's an excuse. Ooh, thank you. That was the missing link I was waiting for. Thank you. Right. Say that one more time. Say that one more time. If your explanation is an attempt to distance yourself from the blame, to make it not your fault. If your explanation is, you know, it, it's not, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot to take the milk, but I got this big call. I totally, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just, it, if it is to diminish the request, diminish the requirement, di- distance yourself from the need as to make yourself stand tall at the end of it. That's not, that is not an explanation of what went wrong. That is a deflection. Okay. Um, so, but instead, like, I am so sorry. I forgot again. I'm just using the milk because it's so simple and everyone does this. Like, you know, I'm so sorry. I forgot to pick up the milk. I got really distracted with a work call and I just completely spaced it. You know, I, I'm sorry. This happened to me yesterday. Actually, I double booked uh, sessions and, uh, at the same exact time, and one of my clients uh, texted me to say that they were running late. And I'm like, oh, shit, you are literally at the same time as a family that I'm seeing. There are three people involved here. Uh, two of them aren't married. They're coming together as a blended family uh, or as a, they're as a blended unit taking care of this child. You're a single individual. Who can I triage? I'm like triaging in the moment. It's like a quarter to four. Sure. And in that moment, I, and these were in-person sessions. Oh, Wow. Right. That's different because virtual is, there's less of a interesting. Okay. Uh-huh. So what I did is I called the person, the singular person. And I said, I have to really apologize. I've double booked you with a family at the same time. How can I make this right? Awesome. Awesome. And I'm just like, I, 
completely spaced it. I moved you here and I booked them there. And sometimes my calendar doesn't sync because my therapy notes calendar and my Google calendar sometimes don't match up. Right now, my business partner is nodding in absolute agreement. My, It's very frustrating to me. I have like five calendars and often something will get on one, but not on the other. And I miss it. So I, yeah. Oh, so in this instance, I called her and she said, and she, she laughed and she said, you're going to, you're going to love this because I slipped and I fell in a puddle and my outfit is dirty and I had an outfit I specifically wanted to wear because I wanted to feel comfortable and that's not what I was wearing. And I said, well, do you want to change and then come back when they're done? And she's like, no, let's just, let's just move our session to our Wednesday and then let's meet again the following Sunday. She was very, very understanding. And we were both laughing because she was nervous about showing up in a state that she didn't want to be there in. And I was nervous about her showing up and compromising An, a family. Yeah. Uh, 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 anonymity of my other clients. Yeah. Yeah. So in that moment, we both uh, inadvertently kind of ar arrived at a best case scenario for both of us. And I just felt like this giant pit in my stomach having to uh, admit and just totally own that I completely screwed up. Yeah. No. And it's, it's important. It's which, it, it, which gets us to our next, uh, the, the next element. The third element of an apology is, Ooh, okay. I'm still taking notes is acknowledgement of responsibility. Uh, is, Hey, I'm really sorry. I forgot to pick up the milk. I totally spaced. I got a work call. I got caught off guard and just, I know that you needed me to get the milk today. I know it was something that you had expressed. I know it was important and I'm really sorry. Like acknowledgement that they were wronged acknowledgement that you own it uh, uh -huh. acknowledgement that like you just said, Hey, I'm really sorry. You've been double booked. I messed that up. How can we do this? Do you want to come back later? Like you didn't say like, Hey, it happens. So sorry. Like, you know, I'll get you on the next one. Like, right. You didn't distance yourself from the blame. You didn't distance yourself from the ownership of that. You absolutely acknowledged what happened. You acknowledged that it was an inconvenience for them. And you owned that, which is all positive of, uh, you didn't, um, I mean, I, I don't know in this conversation, you explained how your calendar thing happened, but even in that, you know, like, oh my, sorry, like my calendar messed this up. It's not my fault. We hear that one all the time. I've done that right. one. I was like, oh my gosh, like this, it didn't get to my phone. I'm so sorry. My calendar didn't sync. This is totally wasn't on me. And I'm like, what do you mean? It wasn't on you. It was your calendar. It's your job to No, it is on me. And a lot of therapists I know here, this podcast are probably nodding going, oh, holy shit. This is exactly my, in fact, many TikToks have been made about double booking. Yeah. Uh, online is different than in person. And now that we're kind of shifting out of telehealth and into in-person sessions, the double booking is going to become even more critical. Right. And so, I mean, a lot of people, especially, and again, so guilty right now, um, a lot, cause I am not a technological person as, as much as I own a media company. Um, <laughs> like, uh, how's that work? Yeah, I know. I'll keep going. Keep going. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I have technological hiccups constantly and it is always my knee jerk to go. I was responsible. I would have been there. My technology failed me and it it's my technology. It was my calendar. If I, right. if I can't make Google calendar work for me and I need to go back to hand jamming on paper, like, you know, then, then that's what I, it's my job to keep my calendar straight. It's my job to keep my call list straight. There's technology to help me. But if technology fails, that's not technology's fault. I was the one in that, that, that got that app. I was the one that relied on it at the end of the day, me trying to blame damn Steve jobs and Google uh, iCal like, no, it's my iPhone. It's not 
Apple's fault. It's not Google's fault. I was relying on them. It failed. It's my fault. And I have to acknowledge responsibility of missing that meeting, missing that appointment, whatever. How easy is it? How easy is it for us or how tempting isn't for is it for us to jump straight to that traffic, weather, technology uh, excuse? This I, I can answer this in two different ways from a cognition standpoint. Very few people are the villain in their own story, in their mind. Uh, okay. Very uh-huh. few people set out to inconvenience or bother people, especially the younger they go, children and, and teenagers. But we as a we generally like there are people that are people pleasers in general, but everyone we don't set out as a general rule to piss people off. Right. If if we're late, it was never our intent. Very rarely do we intend to bother people. Um so when we find out that we have the absolutely core cognitive, uh, the knee jerk reaction is like, oh, I'm so sorry. Traffic wasn't on me. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was raining and nobody knows how to drive in the rain or or it's oh, my gosh, I'm you know lost track of time. What are you going to do? Everyone's everyone's knee jerk is to throw up a mile's worth of padding between what happened and their intent. Very few people want to acknowledge the result their action caused, they want to express how it happened, why it happened and why it wasn't on them when it happened and it was on you to make sure it didn't. So that is that is that distancing uh, uh, effectually an attempt to de-villainize themselves in the situation? Absolutely. Okay, sure. You know, especially when you get into espousal and, you know, platonic interpersonal relationships, uh, business relationships, people tend to be a little bit more okay being the villain. Uh, just in general, you know, gort- hostile takeovers people can tend to do with with a smile on their face. But interpersonal relationships have a very different mind frame when you've crossed someone interpersonally de-villainizing yourself. And we hear it even in the tropes of old movies or or in the tropes of abuse victims. You hear it all the time. Why do you make me do this? Why? Like, ah, that's gaslighting. Gaslight, whatever it is from gaslighting all the way down to deflection, all the way down to dismissing of it. I was like, hey, man, it started snowing. What was I supposed to do? Like, whatever it was, it is absolutely our core reaction to make sure that in the in the world of bad guys, we aren't one of them, that 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 this situation had a villain, but it wasn't us. It wasn't me. Yeah, I'm just as much a victim as you are. Had you not like I, I know that we had this fight and I'm sorry for my part of it, but really we need to agree that had you not don't finish that sentence. Ouch. Ouch. That just hurts. <laughs> Knowing that I've both been the receiver of that and having to have done that, that hurts. No. And I've absolutely done it. I, you know, I've, I've had many interpersonal relationships that when they came out and, and whether or not their apology was warranted or re- that when they explained that the situation had been caused by my actions, they were right. Where it gets really dangerous and really messy, as as we've talked, and I'm sure we'll continue to, is the situations where both sides have things to apologize for. Uh-huh. But here's the trick as I move on to the next part. Well, before I move on to the next part, is that you cannot apologize for someone, nor can you solicit an apology. You can say you owe me an apology, but let me know how that works out for you. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. you can't solicit an apology n- effectively, nor get what if you go into a situation and you see what you did wrong and you see what they did wrong. And this kind of goes into the situation I had two weeks ago. 
It was a situation where both sides messed up. I knew I messed up, and I knew they did too. In the conversation that I had with them, I didn't bring those things up, and for the record, neither did they. They didn't turn around and go, hey, I need to apologize as well. They, they really didn't. You could argue that they, did, they, they still, at the end of it, maintained that they had done nothing wrong, and they're allowed to say and feel that way. That's fine. I went, in, I went into it knowing that, that I had been sure, triggered sure. by their actions. I responded poorly to that heightened state. I said things that I meant, but I shouldn't have said. Ooh, ouch. Okay, that's, that hurts because I, I have been both the giver and the receiver of that. Right. I, for the record, they weren't mean. I laid my problems on them. I was like, right, right. I, in these states, I said things and I laid my emotional baggage. I laid my th- things that were going on in my life and I didn't deflect them. But I offlaid them on like you doing this, like I am triggered and that's somehow your problem. And uh, and they had done the same thing in reverse. But again, I can't come in and say, I thought a lot about this and you started it, um, which you can't do. And which I didn't even believe for the record. That's not what I'm implying. But I had to go to them and say, hey, I owe you an apology. I was, you know, that the, the things that were happening, I was in a really heightened emotional state. I got triggered. I said some things that I absolutely meant, but they weren't your problem. They weren't for you. I made things that were my problem, your problem, and that wasn't fair. And, you know, I am willing to accept, and we'll get into this, I'm willing to accept that this has caused a problem between us. And that sucks. I'm really sorry. I should have never made that stuff your problem and i left it at that they didn't in any way own the but that's fine if that's what i would like them to cool but that's not how it went here's i actually use this quite a bit when i'm talking to people about uh communication breakdowns in in a relational uh dynamic yeah i i talk about this idea well i do want to talk about intent versus impact because that has to be spoken to today absolutely but i also talk about uh, it, when these communication breakdowns happen, and I don't want to be the one to teach you because I want to be the one that, that learns, but this is maybe important. Sure, sure. No, I want to hear. I say when a communication breaks down, you have two choices. You can either choose to be right or you can choose to preserve the relationship. Love that. I say something sort of similar. Uh, so I, with a lot of my clients, uh, I say is like when we get into PR scandals, I, the way that I say that exact same thing is like, look here, do you want to be right or do you want to win? Like, do do, like, do do you want to be correct? Do you want to do this? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to win? Because if you want to win, there's very different steps to that. Right. Like, um, and I'm, I'm actually using them almost in verse for me. Do you want to be in the right? Do you want to be, you know, the correct, the bigger person? Do you want to preserve it? Do you want to be correct and right and righteous? Or do you want to win? Because you can be, you can win wrongly. That's not a word. You can win incorrectly. Like, I like the word wrongly. We're like Shakespeare. We're inventing language. We're right just now. making stuff up, uh, which <laughs> brings us to the fourth part of the apology model. Ooh, okay. I'm still taking notes. The fourth step is a declaration of repentance. It's I won't do this again. I, I, and that one's the hard one because especially when you start talking about prolonged, when you talk about like family relationships, long running business relationships with repeated behavior. And you're like, I won't do this again. They're like, yeah, that's what you said last time. So declarations of repentance are important, but they're also remarkably important that you don't 
you don't overpromise. I will never do this again <laughs> unless you can really say that if you know, I'm sorry I was late from work today. It will not happen again. Stop. Because yes, it will. That is not a promise you can make. It's not even a promise you can think. You're going to be late from work again. It's gun like it's it, th there is no profession that you can say I will never be late again. It's there isn't one. I'm 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 rolodexing every profession that I can think of, and you're right, there is no. There like from you know from surgeon to sewage technician, things happen. You know there are things like I'm really sorry some huge calamitous event and you can say i will never do this again and you can mean it and it could be a reasonable statement and i, I don't want to fill in the blank there because i think everybody instantly has their own they go yes their, their thing that they did or how was done to them that was big but if it's like hey i'm really sorry i forgot to take the trash out i'm really sorry like offering repentance can be difficult because if it's a behavior that is habitual their thing right the best you can do is like, this is something I'm really working on. It's not something I really like about myself. I lose track of time all the time and I'm really sorry I'm working on it. That's a declaration of repentance saying I will never be late again, especially if you're habitually late. That's not true. And you shouldn't say it because now you're polluting the water. You're polluting the communication. You're polluting the relationship with unfulfillable expectations. But this is something I recognize. It's something I'm working on if it is. Uh... I know it affected you negatively, etc. That, you know, the declaration of repentance is 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 important to make sure you don't overpromise. Yeah, because that's hyperbolic and essentially. Yeah, very, very. And again, especially when you start using the words like ever, like if it's in a business relationship that's three weeks long, hey, this won't right. happen again. Cool. Right. I believe you. But the second you start talking brother, sister, mother, friend, you know, wife, lover, girlfriend, boyfriend. The minute you're talking about an ongoing perceived, you know, a perceived ongoing relationship, making any blanket statement is just dangerous. I mean, other than really big, you know, marriage vows and such like there are there are big ones. But, hey, I'll never leave my socks out again. Probably not true. Someone leaving their socks out may be the most endearing thing about them. <laughs> I wish someone thought that about me. I leave my socks everywhere. Anyway, like, yeah, it's a real problem for me, frankly. So then there's the fifth part. Ooh, okay, fifth. Okay. Fifth part is um, both the most important, in my opinion, and the hardest to do. Ooh. And that is the offer of repair. You said to your client in, your, in the story you told, you said, hey, do you want to come in later? Do you want to reschedule? Do you want to, like, you... You didn't just say, hey, sorry, call you later. Within the apology, you offered to fix it. Like, and this can range, you know, in the business setting, this can even be, this can go all the way to the, hey, 10% off your next or your next bit. It can go to the actual restitution. Free like dessert. This, free dessert. This one's yeah. on me. Yeah. Hey, let me validate your parking. Like it can go from just let me fix this uh, in the business world. It almost always has some financial uh, in the interpersonal, it changes. Let me fix this. How exactly are you going to fix broken trust? Ooh, how do we fix broken trust? Because I have some thoughts, but I would love to hear yours instead. In my experience, the absolute only way to repair broken trust is time and repeated, uh, repeated earning of it. Like you can destroy trust really fast, but the only way to get it back is to re-earn it. Like I haven't found a shortcut to that. And that's changed behavior. Is that where the changed behavior comes in? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is. If if, you know, if you crossed a major line 
and and it and it invalidated someone or or put up distance a wall between you two uh-huh. the only way that wall is coming down is with repeated uh validation of how they felt and and acknowledgement and and operating within those boundaries that you had apparently violated it's not something that you can just undo because boundaries pop like a bubble and and getting that bubble back is not always and the particular issue that i'm seeking to repair is a boundary violation Absolutely. And that's a tricky one, especially professionally and ethically. So from a professional and ethical standpoint, and again, I come from a very different uh, industry than yours, acknowledging what you did, acknowledging that it hurt people or that people felt hurt by it or that that there was a violation there, um, acknowledgement of your intent, a recognition that and this kind of goes back to to answer a question you asked a while ago of uh, and and kind of alluded to impact versus intent. A recognition, so say, that was not my intent, comma, but I recognize that that is what happened. Like, right. hey, I didn't mean for that to happen. Don't blame me. No, no, that's that's just a, that that's not an apology. I never meant for this to happen, but I recognize that it did. Like, and the, th- the thing with your situation and many situations that I've worked with, the big important thing, though, is that at no point here, uh, do you want to be caught I, I don't like that phrasing, but do you want to start taking on guilt, taking on blame for the situation that wasn't yours? Because right. as much as this isn't about, well, I can take it, whatever. Right. It's not fair to the relationship. It's not fair to the precedent. It's not fair to the communication. If you just come in and say, like a big thing that CEOs love to do slash hate to do is they'll come in and take everything. I'll be like, you know what? This was entirely my fault. I take all of the blame. Nobody else did anything wrong. Blah. Now, leaders can do that to a certain degree because everything is down trace of them. And so to a certain expe- to a certain degree, that's true. But in an interpersonal relationship, if you're you're coming in and saying, hey. The fight we had last night was 100 percent my fault. That is almost definitely not true. Right. It might have been started by 100 percent. You like, right. hey, I started that fight last night. That's on me. But but and again, don't say it like, you know, but acknowledging somewhere in there. But things were said that also really hurt me. And what I did, I don't feel justified those. Right. You know, that can be part of that conversation, not part of the apology. An apology and a conversation about an event is a different thing. Okay, so and that actually kind of brings me back to, you know, I talked about a professional and ethical boundary that may have been crossed. The person or people that this happened to. And I'm not going to get personal. Sure. But they feel like a professional and ethical boundary had been violated. My professional code of conduct, my professional ethics, uh, I did not cross any boundaries. Sure. So according to the code that I operate under, my boundaries were not violated or I did not violate any boundaries. And there's the dialectic. These individuals felt like it had been. Sure. And they're responding that way. And so I, I'm I'm trying to hold space for their feelings and validate their feelings and make sure that everybody, you know, involved in the situation and I'm trying to keep it small. I want to make sure that everyone understands that my personal code of ethics was not violated. And 
how do I how do I do that other than I mean, and it kind of maybe sounds like in this in this moment in this podcast that might be what I'm doing. No, but this is the this this is the reason that I'm in this in this particular moment in the space. Yeah, this is the conversation, and the conversation is fine. So, the answer is I think you're actually doing a pretty good job just in the way that you're phrasing it right now, and and that is to say, you validate you just did. I understand that you feel that I crossed a boundary, and I I recognize how that has made you feel that has made you feel unsafe. I recognize that, that my boundaries, uh, sorry, that my, that my actions have affected you negatively. And I am deeply sorry for that. I, I am. Right. I would like you to know that, uh, you know, I would like you to know that I don't feel that way. However, right. And this gets uh, to the offer of repair because I, I realize now that we're operating under two different ethical constructs. That is fine. And because we are operating under just kind of two different spheres, I promise that I am not going to X, Y, Z with you anymore. Right. But acknowledging how they feel, like I said, at the very top, don't bring facts to a feelings fight. They feel violated and unsafe. The number one thing that they need to hear is that you recognize that they feel violated and unsafe. You can then again. So from from the top expression of regret, I am so Ooh, I've got these. I took notes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have the last one that I'll do at the end. So at the very top, you know, the expression of regret. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, this situation. I am really sorry. And this is a little bit different of interpersonal versus public public apology will go under it's the same elements, but the format's a little different if we were talking about a public apology. But and I think in this instance, it's probably more inf- more informational for the audience and for the other therapists to think about an interpersonal uh, communication. Yeah, interpersonally. Cool, because I was going to say I can write either, but they have right. a little different format. Um, so, you know, hey, I'm, I, I wanted to talk to you about the, you know, the events, the occurrence, the, the situation. I am really sorry that that has happened. Explanation of what went wrong, like. Throughout the occurrence of this, you know, this event with us talking, these things kind of happened and, and I recognize, so that's the explanation of what went, went wrong. And like I said, without knowing the fullness of it, you, you explain that not deflecting, not diverting, not putting it on them. You just explain how you saw the situation, explain how you were operating. Sure. I recognize that I made some decisions in that, that have affected you. I acknowledge responsibility for for what went wrong there and what happened declaration of repentance like i for the record at personally i would put offer of repair before declaration of repentance but that's just kind of how i do you'd say like this won't happen again you and i have uh Uh i operate under this ethical code and and you feel that i violated you know your code of ethics i'm really sorry about that i'm sorry that you this and and me that and that this this line was crossed what i can offer is that I won't cross those lines again with you and I will be ever more increasingly aware of these lines and potential ethical boundaries with other people in the future. Right. This really, I'm going to do my best to make sure that this doesn't happen again for somebody else. And then the last step is actually really simple. It's the one that most people forget. And that's to request forgiveness. Actually say, I'd really love it if you could forgive. Ah. I, I, you know, It would mean the world to me if you could understand, you know, recognize that this was an accident and that, you know, that that you not continue or that you not hold this against me and that we could continue some kind of relationship, whether it be again, I'm trying to talk so general that I'm not being very specific to. Right. And I think that's important to to keep generally speaking generally. Yeah. Whether it's uh, a client relationship, a interpersonal, a platonic, romantic, sexual, whatever, 
with every single client that walks through my door, the very first two questions I ask them, whether they are wanting an advertisement, an apology, a public statement, a press release, whatever it is, I ask them the same two questions. And it's amazing how simple these questions are. And it's amazing how nobody can answer them. Ooh, these are going to be good. I'm going to write these down too. <laughs> no, that, like it's, it's, it's funny to me. This is going to sound like first day of kindergarten stuff. First day of kindergarten stuff. And I'm going to say it and you're going to be, no one, no one can answer these questions when they walk in my door. Never. And here it is. Who are you talking to? Ah. Okay. What do you want them to do? That's it. That's 100% of communications. And then when people say, well, what do you mean? What do you want them to do? I made a fun little acronym. DO is an acronym. No, it's not. I made this up. DO stands for developmental outcome. What do you want to come of this? And so with this apology, what is the, who are you talking to? Are you talking to stockholders? Are you talking to a client? Are you talking to a husband or wife? Are you talking to your child? Are you talking to the teacher of your child? Are you talking to the kids on your street that you're always yelling to get off of your lawn? Who are you talking to? changes so much right what do you want them to do do you want this relationship to continue do you want them to continue coming to you in a professional capacity personal capacity friend do you want them to there are a lot of apologies that are i'm sorry let's not be friends anymore like i am sorry but like sometimes there are apologies that are heartfelt but they aren't necessarily attempting to solve the relationship they're attempting to nicely end it and i think that that sometimes can be i was just thinking about the requesting forgiveness why is that important i guess that's important for for the giver of the apology to can't leave that door open i we sit in the space all the time in therapy that you may not always get what you want or what you need right you may be you may need to be willing and prepared for forgiveness not to be offered well and Forgiveness, I also kind of, when, I, when I'm when i working with this request for forgiveness, I actually, this is, I'm reading them as they were written in the 2016 study as to not just plagiarize uh, these, uh, you know, Dr. Lewicki, Dr. Poland, and Dr. Lount's work. Sure. Uh, but I often, with, with my stuff, I tend to switch it from a request for forgiveness to express intent. How is that different? How is that different? Request for forgiveness is, my intent is that we are going to be okay. My request is that you forgive me and that we work through this. Okay. But what if it isn't with my apology that I offered, uh, you know, a week ago, uh, that's not how I ended. I said, hey, I don't expect this to change anything between the two of us, but I want you to know that I wish you the best and I wish you well. And I, I think nothing but the best of it. It's still asking for forgiveness, but I wasn't saying now, please, can we get back to where we were? I recognized that wasn't going to happen. Right. And in all honesty, I didn't want it to like because the, the things that went down hurt me just as bad. And that's a big part of this that we can get to in a second with the impact versus intent. Whereas I feel that I played a huge part in what went down. So did they. Sure. And they can't unsay the things they said either. And so whereas I was certainly apologizing for my part and I ended it with, I don't anticipate this will expect any change anything, but I want you to know that I wish you all the best. And I think you're great. And I think this, that, and the other, um, it certainly left the door for them to come back and say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry too. Can can you forgive me? It request for forgiveness, at least in my semantical understanding, implies let's get back to where we were. And that's not always how this is going to be. Sometimes it's just an expression of intent. I don't need you to let me back into our house. I don't need you to let me do. 
there, this is not a can, because a lot of times in my opinion, requests for forgiveness can bind up with conditions. Ah, right. Whether or not they are, they can feel conditional. They're like, so if we could just move past this, let me come back home. Let's get back to, you know, whatever the, the thing. That sounds like requesting a capitulation. Exactly. Like request for forgiveness often in the, in the phrasing or even in the intent can sometimes start to sound conditional or capitulatory. Like, whereas instead of request for forgiveness, just a statement of, if you want to come back home, don't conditionalize it. Say that, like, you know, if you are an estranged spouse and say, I really would love it if you forgave me and I would be allowed to come back home, express your intent or I'm really sorry I've done this. I understand you probably won't forgive me, but know that I'm always here or I'm going to leave you alone. Express your next steps so they can understand where you are, because a lot of times someone will say in us, I've had many occurrences. I think everyone listening to this has had an occasion where someone apologized and 10 minutes later just acted like it had never happened, like like the apology made it go away. And that's not white from a cognition standpoint that's not quite how apologies work right instead of ending with please forgive me we good like and for the record ending in we good is sometimes a very apt way of ending with you know are are we okay that's expressing intent that's expressing like i want us to be okay i i'd like it if we could be okay sure it doesn't demand it hey are we okay i'd like it if we could still be friends i'd like it if we could still this i'd like it if you'd stay remain my client that's expressing a desire and it's requesting forgiveness, but under the guise of expressing intent. And I think that that takes a lot of the mental stress off of the recipient of this apology. They understand much more directly what you're trying to do. Right. I have a, I have a question about like the timing of a, of a, the timing of an, of an apology. Okay. I often advise my clients to, if they're in a heightened emotional state, to not do big, uh, to not make big decisions in a heightened emotional state. Absolutely. And I think that in this particular instance that I'm approaching you about, again, not to get specific, sure, but an, an offense was made, feelings were definitely hurt, and I will validate that till the moon and back. But I felt the need to step back and kind of craft how I was going to respond because I wanted to hold space for everyone involved. Absolutely. And I think in that holding space and trying to figure out what I needed needed to do, there was an expectation of a timeliness or there was an expectation of how it was going to happen. And the longer I, I put that off and or apologized in ways that were not beneficial, it made the original offense even worse. So I have two answers for that. One, I 100% agree with you that, again, to quote it for the third, you know, don't bring facts to a feelings fight. If you're at a heightened emotional state, the emotion you're going to express is going to get lost. Like it. And so you come here like it. There's almost no good that can come of it. However, at the same time. Time in an emotional uh, heightened emotional state is a lot longer. And so silence can be deafening and and the act of nothing can often feel like something, even though really it was like, hey, I was just giving you some space to cool down. It's like I didn't like and I think we've all seen this movie and or had this experience where like, hey, I was giving you your space like you were supposed to come after me like, okay, 
Like you, you were supposed to come and fix it. Like, like I, I thought I was supposed to give you space. So that's the intent versus impact. And so this is where, and every situation is so nuanced and different generationally, regionally, internationally, everything. But this is where I like to have my cake and eat it too. Wait, you can do that? In, in apologies, you can actually. Ooh, let's hear this. This is going to be good. Unfortunately for you, the, the ship has sailed a little bit on this one. Yeah, we can't unring this bell. <laughs> you can't unring it. But the have your cake and eat it too is that you can uh, you pre-apologize. At the height of all of it going on, you acknowledge it and say, give me a minute. If you'd have made a TikTok, a post, a podcast, a Facebook chat, a tweet, uh, if, if you go out and you say, I... I really am aware and I recognize the things going on and being said and the fe- and that fe- and that feelings have been hurt. This is where you're allowed to be a little bit more distancing in your language because people understand what it is you're doing. You're like, I understand there's a lot of heightened emotions. I understand that, you know, I'm that that, that I've made some mistakes. They're like, I'm, you know, please give me a day or two. Give me a give me a little bit of time. I'm going to address this with you. I just want to make sure that I am, as you just said, making space for everyone. So this is interesting because I, I tried to do that. Okay. And I made an analogy that was hurtful. And then I said some things that were the opposite of what was actually heard. Yeah. And I, in that moment, seeing these individuals response, I realized that the hurtful thing that I said at the beginning of that pre-apology possibly influenced how they heard the second half of the apology where I tried to acknowledge the things that I'd done wrong. Yeah. They, they weren't heard or, and, or they were heard in the opposite direction. So this is interesting that you put, so like we said at the very top, I'm, I'm a professional storyteller. My entire life has been working in PR marketing, storytelling, helping people tell their story. And, and a lot of people, you know, to, to make an analogy of my own, when you're talking about books and movies, uh, people tend, uh, people tend to almost always, uh, put the problems at the climax or after they're like, yeah, I loved the movie, but the, but in the third act, in the end there, there were all these problems. And I will tell you that with almost out equivocation, that 99% of problems happen in the first 15 minutes, not the last 15 minutes. That if you did a better job at the beginning of the story, uh, then the end would, as long as your intent is clear at the end, as long as it, end, if it end, I'm not saying that problems never happen at the end, but to tie it back to what you're saying of, if you open up an analogy wrong, if you open up with a bad example, if you put someone in a headspace that you don't want them, nothing you say after that point matters. And I, and I realize now looking back yeah. that that is exactly what I had done. Yeah. I used an analogy that they were, uh, they felt very badly about. That was not my intent. It doesn't matter. They felt bad. And then at the end of that, nothing I said after that was hearable or processable. Absolutely. So I wonder if I had flipped that and led with the things and then ended with the analogy and or, and I, looking back, the metaphor that I used, I actually use quite a bit with other clients when we talk about empathy and, and, and helping people. But I think because there was already a challenge or there was already something in the air that was emotional. They heard that initial metaphor and they heard it in a way that was hurtful and they experienced it in a way that was hurtful and nothing I said after that mattered. 
it's almost all corrective action. And this isn't you weren't attempting to do corrective action. You were trying to correct yourself, but but all corrective action, if you think about it from a boss, a parent, a friend, a spouse, again, any situation, right. we almost always the first thing are in out of our mouth is the emotional statement, and that shouldn't be true. <laughs> Ooh. So then how in that, how in that moment of emotion do we make this? Cause we're, cause we're, if we're talking about brain cognition. Oh, okay. Okay. Keep your mouth shut. Like, 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 like the, 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 I mean, to use, go straight to parenting. Like, oh gosh, that's a terrible idea. Like, like, oh, don't do that. Like, are you stupid? Like no one's, I'm not, I'm not saying that we say that to our children. I'm just saying. This is the lyrics of that John Mayer song though. Corrections tend to be quick and come from a place of, of, of startle or emotion and high key and they they set you off and so it's it's like you walk up to someone punch them in the nose and then begin to explain their their you know how they did it wrong right all they were thinking was about the blood streaming from their nose or the throbbing pain in their like and i can see that in my initial attempt at an apology that's exactly what i did as I punched him in the nose and that's not what I wanted to do. And, and, you know, and the thing is, is that communication, uh, one of the things that I love is people say, Oh, you know, uh, people love to say, you know, uh, common sense, isn't that common. I love this phrase because of how much I hate it because you're right. Common sense isn't common, not because people are stupid, but because there is almost not a piece of information aside from air and gravity that is actually common. common. <laughs> <laughs> there, there just isn't. And maybe, yeah, like they're, they're just, there is so very little, even I am a cisgendered white male of, of extreme privilege. And I have lived everywhere in the world. Literally, I've been to 47 states, 12 countries. I have lived everywhere. And I will say that my reality is not nearly as constant as people seemed. My reality changes a lot. And the social structures that I have to navigate around changes a lot. And when I go down to see my brother in the deep South being who and what I am is very different in the way right. people respond to it. than right. when I go to the Pacific Northwest, um, be common knowledge isn't common because nothing about the way that we live is common to each other. Even within the, you know, even within general geographic and socioeconomic backgrounds. There is so much individuality and there's so much individual perspective. We just need to always be assuming that someone's going to take something in a way we didn't intend it. A that makes writing and reading and communicating a lot harder. It really does. And you can't, but that whole story is to say this, you made a mistake in the way you said it because of, because of a perspective you had and an experience uh -huh. you had, uh -huh. but you were talking to an emotional, uh, a state that you not didn't see, but didn't necessarily fully uh, contextualize in the way they were at that time. Right. But the best we can do as communicators is to pivot, apologize and move on and say, if we start beating ourselves up and going, well, I can't do that because I remember this one time I really messed up. Well, I can't do that. This other time I really messed. Right. Well, I can't do that. If we start setting up our barriers from the times we've bumped into other people's nothing moves. Change and growth and development happens when you're uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. If you start building boundaries and barriers every single time you accidentally bump into someone else's comfort zone, neither of you get better. 
So I love the the whole conversation here is you're saying you made mistakes and that's good. And you you do need to readdress boundaries and barriers and that's good. Setting boundaries is good, but recognizing what those boundaries should be versus what they happened to be this one time are not always the same thing. And so that's, that's my quest in this moment is to reestablish boundaries and one of those boundaries is going to be not making myself as accessible from outsiders coming in. And it's going to reassess my boundaries to, to for my desire to help uh, from my direction outward. So I'm reassessing and reestablishing boundaries both directions. Absolutely. I'm going to be you know receiving, and this is kind of a thing, that common uh, thread that happens in TikTok, mental health TikTok in particular, is we are always trying to establish that TikTok is not therapy. No. Even though I'm a therapist and my colleagues are psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, uh, what we offer on TikTok is not that professional service. And often when we speak or when we engage with people, that boundary is not in place on the other end. And in my particular instances, my boundary could have been stronger and less porous. I like, I like that word. Yeah. I have to own that. I have to own that. No. And, and I know that's awesome. It's, I think that, you know, we went through the six steps, but the, the really, what comes down to is with an apology of validating, validating the impact, not the intent, validating the impact of our actions, owning them, and, and making the corrective action as necessary where it gets. And again, I'm not speaking to your situation in general. I'm speaking to the general situation here is that the thing that is is both a fallacy done by gaslighters, but it's also a thing that we as people tend to do a lot as well, which is to I stepped on your toes. Fine. I'm just not going to walk around anymore. If I can't do anything without bumping into someone, I'm going to just stay in my corner and that can have some really ill effects to both ourselves and to other people in our lives if that that again know nothing of your situation but there are people that react unnecessarily there are people who get offended when there was not only no offense intended but there was really no ill impact but i can never judge that yeah no absolutely no i i i fully yeah. i fully agree with you my my point is that Let's use just the little clips that you, you have said there of the, the, the boundaries back and forth. And I, again, you come from an industry that is very, mm-hmm. very different than mine. So take that sure. with a total grain of salt. And that is that, you know, you're helping X number of people by with your current boundaries. And you, you did, in fact, create this situation where it impacted negatively. It caused an unsafe space. Uh-huh. It hurt someone. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and you are acknowledging that. So realigning and readdressing boundaries is good. It's positive. It's wonderful. There's no down there. The question becomes, and I'm not saying you said this, but building walls and saying, okay, I guess I'm not going to do X or Y. So what about those other 20 people, 30 people, 15 people, 100 people, pick a number. What about all the other people that you were helping that weren't negatively impacted by the behavior? I'm not saying we should just ignore the people we hurt because we're helping more. Not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying that making sure that the boundaries are not just appropriate as they don't hurt people, but they're appropriate that they do not hem you in from being the positive influence that I know that you are. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm not trolling for compliments. No, I didn't think you were. I just wanted to make sure that you saying 
I'm going to, I'm going to make myself less accessible from the outside and do the, absolutely redraw your boundaries. But at the same time, don't to, yeah. don't hem yourselves in from all the people that I know for a fact you are helping because one time you made a mistake in a very specific situation, because then that hurts lots of people. Right. So the boundaries that I'm feeling the need, the need to readdress are those specific types of interactions. Right. And I'm just going to eliminate them altogether. So, yeah, I mean, and if that's the if that's if that's the appropriate, but just I, th- I think it actually is appropriate. And I've had many and I've had some consultation from other therapists uh, for over the past several days. And that is repeatedly the advice that's given. Don't do that anymore. And, and as I look back, I can see the sure. the intent definitely did not match the impact. The impact of the intent was much worse. Right. Uh, uh, the, the, the pain the suffering that has, you know, has resulted is far beyond what I ever intended. No, absolutely. So I want to make sure that in order to protect uh, individuals from that happening again, I'm just going to withdraw my ability to do that. That doesn't remove my desire to do that, but I'm just going to have to make a hard line not to do that. I'm, I'm always tugged to try and help. I know my job is, and I thought about this yesterday, that my job initially is, and I had a kind of a concentric ring model. Sure. And I thought, oh, this might be a good TikTok. My first responsibility is to me. Absolutely. My second responsibility is to the clients that have engaged with me professionally uh, in therapeutic services. My third responsibility is to my children. And my fourth responsibility is to anybody else. Yeah. So if any of those other factors hurt my kids... Uh, or my uh, uh, immediate professional contacts. Sure. I need to protect. I need to protect those in, inward-facing circles. The challenge in this instance was my desire to help people that I was not professionally engaged in compromised their safety, and it started to encroach on my ability to work with my clients, even as recently as yesterday. Oh. I have a yeah. very very complex uh, case that I'm working on, and I found my mind wandering into this other sphere of. TikTok stuff that admittedly I created. Sure. But it's the, the the ripple effect of that was coming back in entering into the space where I needed to be focused and have energy for my client in the room. Right. No, and 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 again to you know to reiterate, you and I come from very different professional spheres where right. where you know I I help people communicate effectively, which so do you, but we have different Sure. So there there's definitely considerations that you have that I am less uh, well-versed in. Uh-huh. And, and I think everything you've said is, is, is very, you know, positive and healthy. It's just a matter of making sure that we aren't stopping to put out all the good because of the times that we have crossed people. Right. And so that, I guess, is to say that I will be able to put out content that I hope is helping people. Uh, yes. I guess that's my point is that if you were saying, which you have not even implied, if you were saying this happened, so I guess I'm going to get off TikTok. I'd be like, no, no, no I have not you, said that. You know, and that. I know you have not yeah. said that. I'm just saying that. But that is to to the people out there that, you know, potentially are listening to this. The number of clients that I have had where they had an intern, they had a lower person say something on Twitter. The Twitter post went really bad. Something happened. Oh, no. I was brought in to help kind of fix this situation. And then the CEO said, you know what? The ROI or the whatever the putting ourselves on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, putting it out there. It's just not we're going to cut this off. And I'm like, you cannot be serious. You, you can't you can't do that. You can't right. stop talking because someone got hurt once. You need to do better. Always fix the problem, seal the holes, 
but keep doing it. So I guess that was more my point of don't stop putting yourself out there. Just, yeah. So, so the, the, the way that I put myself out there relative to the rest of the sphere of TikTok was probably less than 1%. Gotcha. So I, if I remove 1% of what I was doing, I can still engage in 99% of the TikTok stuff that I am doing. No. Wonderful. Yeah. No, because TikTok has been an interesting, not to go totally like, I've, you know, I've worked in professional storytelling my entire career from film, television, commercials, you know, and PR and marketing now, uh, PR and media now. Um, TikTok is probably one of my favorite platforms that's ever popped up just because of the, the sheer, the, the, the way that it curates and presents information, the way that it allows and in, engages and pairs and interactions. It is so authentic and it allows people to put themselves out there in a very, you know, safe space in a, in a kind of weird way. I recognize there's a lot of people who don't find it to be a safe space. I just mean in a, right. It, it feels like a, a place that you can express yourself a little bit more freely than other, than other social medias have, have been in the past. Uh, yeah. From my perspective, from my, from my experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that about TikTok. and many of the therapists, in fact, all of the therapists that I've engaged with, have said nearly identical things that TikTok for them is a wonderful way to express themselves creatively, artistically, as far as well as professionally. Right. The networking, uh, I don't know the communities that we come from that have, that we have a common space. It's a very powerful, powerful community. It absolutely is. That same sense of camaraderie, love, compassion, support that exists within the therapists on TikTok as well. Yeah. I know. And it's, and my brother, so my brother is a, uh, my brother's on TikTok. He has, an embarrassingly number higher number of people than I do. I'm, and he's a doctor. He's a, he's a, he's a general family practitioner and he's never been a, okay. it's not fair to say he's not a creative type. He's absolutely a creative type, but he's a creative type. That's a doctor, not the creative type that works in media. Um, and like sure. his <laughs> TikToks blow mine away because it's just, it's just, he takes all this creative energy and in all of this edit allows him to talk about medical problems and malpractice and fun things and crazy clients and crazy patients. And, and it's just TikTok allows for a conversation that we have never, ever really had before in a really, really cool right. way. And I think, I think I got caught up in that enthusiasm and that creativity and that capability to connect in, uh, in new and exciting ways. And I, and it got out of control. Yeah. I can definitely see that. I mean, I've definitely seen the TikTok drama. You know, I've definitely seen there is absolutely it, it absolutely opens up new new avenues and with new avenues comes new boundaries and new, yeah. with new ways of communicating. Uh, I talk about this in my book with new ways of communicating comes new ways of thinking. Our our actual cognitive processes, they have shown and proven. I can show you the I, I hate using the passive voice there. I don't have the studies in front of me to quote the names, but they've done really cool studies and shown that as we developed more visual cortex photography and film and, and computers and internet, the way that we process the speed, which we process the connections in our brains change it's, it's connected. Yeah. It's faster. Our attention, our attention spans have also changed a little bit. Like right. the way, as we change the way we communicate, we actually change the, the way that we think from a literal neuro, uh, neuro neurological way sure. standpoint. And so, what that means is that as we as we start to experiment with new uh, communications channels and as we start to, uh, you know. You know, telehealth wasn't a thing 15 years ago, it kind of wasn't it a wasn't thing a thing years two ago. years ago. Yeah, like, I mean, like. <laughs> 
I've, I mean, I've, it was a thing. It just wasn't widely adopted. Right. Like I've, yeah. I've been in, in and out of counselor and therapist office for various things my entire life. I ha- I didn't start having a remote counseling appointment until six, 10 weeks ago. Like it was at the, at the tail end of COVID. That's fascinating. Yeah. No, I, uh, we found my, my wife and I actually found a parenting coach. Ooh, awesome. We, we have five children. And anytime you have five children, there's going to be different learning styles and parenting styles you across don't say yeah right it's amazing <laughs> and and you if you give one a lollipop for cleaning their room and you don't give them all a lollipop oh, that's a like right no, it's a d- thing done. you're done and so we found this wonderful amazing uh her name is mary smith she's incredible uh not trying to plug her but she's great and she's a oh, let's plug her her name is mary smith she is a parenting coach like she's not a therapist she uh-huh. helps parents that are in stressful parenting situations like five children during a pandemic doing virtual school and she helps walk stressed out parents through coaching. And, and we, we, we engaged her about, you know, two months ago and she's been invaluable to just, just in being able to talk through it, being able to, Hey, this thing happened. Can we talk about this and see if I did it really bad or just kind of bad? Like how badly did I parent this day? Um, you know, and, you know, to this day, I learned how children apologize or receive apologies a little bit better. And I've had an opportunity to pull aside all five of my children in different capacities and talk to them and apologize to them for my bad behavior as a parent, because I get it wrong a lot. Yeah. And I've and I've had to. And you can't just say, I'm really sorry, I'm a bad father because that I have a 13 year old. That's not going to go well. Like, no. Look, but, you know, and I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that we can try and normalize or, or we can normalize apologizing to our children. No, I uh, I mean, to, to use an example that I don't mind sharing at all. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's 13. She's going into high school next year um, and she has an IEP, you know, individual learning plan, education plan, sure. just just like everyone kind of does these days. Um, you know, she being my child has her own idiosyncrasies and, and things of that nature. And so I had a, a Zoom call with this last week. And they recommended this class for her that I thought sounded really, really, really cool. Um, And I asked, but it was going to cost her an elective. And I heard what her electives were. And I knew which ones were really important and which ones were, you know, she wanted. Uh, And I made the decision. I I told them which classes to switch out. And I went home that day and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. I was like, "I, I know that this is going to affect you. And I'm really sorry. But I made this decision today. I talked to your teachers. I talked to your guidance counselors. I talked to this. I made sure they didn't take your art classes, which would have really hurt you. They only took your other classes that you wanted, but that, that didn't. My daughter's an artist. And had I taken and her my art, heart hurts because I taught art for so long. Yeah. Had I taken her art one, she was taking art one and ASL. So just, just straight up. So she's taking uh-huh, art one and uh-huh. ASL. And I said, you know what? I took ASL in college. I know how to sign. That's why she wants to do it. She wants to be able to have a secret language with her dad. That's Ooh, really cool. cool. She and I yeah. had talked about it. So I said, let's kill ASL and, and put this other class in. Um, and then I was like, Hey, if you want to sign with me, if we want to get some videos, we can still start signing. You can take it your sophomore year. You can take it in college. Like I did, you can take it another, but you and I have some of the same struggles. Uh, this class really would have helped me. And so I need you to do, I, a, I want to apologize that I had to do this, but if you would please do me the favor of just take this class for me and and we'll work out something. We'll sign together. We'll figure something out. But and she took it like a champ. She she was very upset. She was clearly upset. But she was like, no, I, I uh, you know, and she said, you know, thank you for realizing I really wanted to take ASL. And 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 I 
and, and she got it. And we had a really, really awesomely mature conversation for a 13 year old. I love that. Um, and I mean, she's, she's, I have five children, as I've said, but she's my mini me of my five children. She is by <laughs> far, she is just me, but female. It is just, it's, it's actually a little hard to watch sometimes because of just how I'm like, I did this. Oh gosh, she needs to stop doing that. Like, <laughs> like, like she'll figure it out eventually, I suppose. Right. Um, oh, Kirk. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's watching yourself 30 years later is, is it's, you know, it's I think a every, it's a trip, man. It's it, a trip. it really is. It's but yeah, trip. let's do two things. Let, let's plug your book and then let's recap and wind up. Okay. So uh, my book came out April 9th of last year. It, the audiobook is coming out April 9th in two weeks. It's called The Very Best Bad Idea. He's reaching for a copy. Here we go. Yeah. So, like, so. Oh, it's got a mousetrap on. I set mousetraps last week. This is very fun. <laughs> It's it's called the it's called the very best bad idea and then the reason uh, uh, the subtitle is innovation creativity and making friends with the mouse and oh and I want to kill the mouse so and here's and I uh, without taking too much of your time I'll explain really really fast why that's on the cover and that is that uh, amongst entrepreneurs specifically there's this kind of catchphrase of you know build a better mouse trap you know right. you hear it in Silicon Valley you hear it on Shark Tank you hear this like you know everyone's trying to build a better mouse trap and it comes from a misquoted quote from Emerson where uh, if you build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a broad beaten path to your door. Just saying that if you build it better, faster, it'll work. The problem is from a from a linguistic and communication standpoint, if you say build to create and craft from diverse and disparate pieces, better, a baseline that has not been established in the axiom, mouse, a very, very specific creature of over a thousand subdenominations, and trap, a device which captures or encloses by springing shut, we have now established an entire recipe and not a solution to the problem because you don't want to kill the mouse. You don't want to have mice in your house. That is a different problem. You... I don't know you super well, but I'm willing to bet don't dream of destroying all the mice. Like you're not, there's no mouse bloodlust here. No, just the mice that came in and started eating my English crackers. Exactly. So what if we could build a mouse fence? What if we could build a mouse super frequency? What if we could light mouse candles that kept mice away? What if we could just call the mouse on the phone, make a friends and say, could you please, I will leave you out English crackers, leave the ones over here. There are other because killing the mouse is not the goal. Killing the mouse is the is the solution you've thought of. I use build a better mousetrap, but we do it with so much. We do it with don't build, uh, don't uh, reinvent the wheel, which is stupid advice. We do, you know, build a better mousetrap. We use all these little axioms and phrases that pre prescribe the problem and they hem us in from a cognitive standpoint where if you say build a better mousetrap, all of in, all of Silicon Valley goes, it needs to be smaller. It needs to be faster. It needs to do this. And he's so. The first question you have to ask without going way down this rabbit hole, okay, how are we measuring success here? Is it the number of mice caught? If that's the case, then it actually stands to reason that I want to lure more mice to me in order to catch more of them so that I can prove mine works better. So a really good mousetrap by the quantitative standpoint is the exact opposite of what you are supposed to want. Words matter. They do, don't they? And so it's called The Very Best Bad Idea, Innovation, Creativity, and Making Friends with the Mouse. And I spend 300 and some odd pages going into why we're afraid of standing out and why we're afraid of doing things wrong and why we are afraid of, of looking silly and selfish 
or, or stupid and why sometimes we will go along with an idea that we think is dumb because we don't want to look, we don't want people to, to, uh, to look at us funny. We've seen this a lot in, you know, the, the, uh, LGBTQ communities of people like staying hidden, keeping to themselves. We say this a lot in innovation spaces where people don't raise their hand and say, I have a better idea because they're afraid of ridicule or torment or abuse. And so the very best bad idea goes into the cognition of creativity and, and nonconformity and how we can be better and okay with standing out and getting out of our own way. It's the story of my life. Yeah, it's, I, I would be very interested to hear your, uh, your, your take on it, uh, for your listeners and yourself as well. Code TikTok. If you buy it from my website, verybestbadidea.com, it is available on Amazon and, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble and everything. But if you buy it from the website, my publisher website, verybestbadidea.com. And in the checkout, do hashtag or uh, not hashtag, uh, the confirmation code, the coupon code TikTok, T-I-K-T-O-K. Ah. It's okay. 30% off. It drops it down below Amazon pricing and it comes uh, signed by me. So I, I actually, Oh, do, I'm going to do that. I do fulfillment on those. And so it makes it cheaper than Amazon. And I set it out to you. And then the audiobook comes out April 9th. Wow. This is a big deal. I was supposed to have a whole speaking tour this summer. I had 12 cities booked and though. Oh, I, I have four friends who are authors whose speaking tour about incredibly important books has been shattered. It's so sad. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I, I spent I spent a yeah, I spent a year and a half writing it. It was set to come out April. I was all excited. Uh, I was gonna leave in, you know, uh May for this twelve city thing and uh that April happened and then 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 nothing. So note to note to aspiring authors, don't plan a speaking tour during a global pandemic. <laughs> you know, the things they don't teach you in business school. They do not <laughs> teach you this. In any or, or yeah. All right, so let's recap. I've got a six six steps. Okay, six steps. Expression of regret. Expression of regret. Explanation of what went wrong. Acknowledgement of responsibility. Declaration of repentance. Offer of repair and request for forgiveness. Uh, it is again, that is from a 2016 study that was published in, um, uh, published by Dr. Roy Lewicki of Ohio state university, Beth Poland of Eastern Kentucky university and Robert Lount jr. Also of, uh, Ohio state university. I've read the full study. It is really, really cool. It was published in American uh, psychology today and a couple of other really cool things. It's, it's, it gets into a lot more of the neuroscience if if your listeners being therapists were interested, they will geek out on that. Yeah. No, it's, it's like I said, don't take my words on it. This actually is psychological information. I just, I, I specialize on how to communicate it, not the, the psychology of it. I knew I would, I knew I would get something important from you today and I didn't realize how important this is. I really appreciate your, really appreciate your time. No, I, I love having, I loved being on. I love, uh, this was great. Uh, thank you so much. Um, absolutely. What's your favorite song ever, ever ever you only oh, get one wow favorite song in three so... two one million dreams from million dreams from the greatest showman greatest showman soundtrack all right it uh it it it's the one of the only songs in my life that that led me to tears the first time wow. i heard it and which was only like three or four years ago i was watching it with my uh i was watching it with my daughter and that that came up and pt barnum singing about how mm. you know everyone thinks he's crazy but uh, again, my book is about being told I was wrong my entire life. But it, the the it's only going to take a million dreams to reach to reach my goals speaks to me on a a level that is is very hard to articulate. I'm getting emotional just hearing you talk about it. Yeah, no, I. Wow. 
me in a nutshell, I, I first through ninth grade, I went to nine different schools. I, oh, I've moved a trillion times. I've never had a group of friends. Again, you'll read all of this in the book. Uh, I've, I have been the, uh, I was diagnosed being on the spectrum very, very late in life, i.e. 37. Of, uh, I, I have been the outcast and the out, uh, my entire life. And it's, uh, sitting in the greatest showman and hearing him sing about a million dreams. I'm like, I feel this. I feel you feeling it. Thank you. Wow. I'm very overwhelmed right now. There. Yeah, there it is. Wow. So. I, this was great. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we desire.
For the world we're gonna make